Welcome everybody to Monday edition of Texans All Access. I would say from the Hyundai Texans radio studio, and I guess it is, it's just the mobile version as in Indianapolis, Indiana. Charles Barkley would be very proud that we are Indianapolis. Mark Vandermeer and myself, John Harris, coming to you live from Naptown as we get ready for the NFL Scouting Combine, our first time here in two years. I was actually talking to somebody on Sunday about this when I went to go watch Houston Cougars. It's the last event that we did before COVID hit. We went to the Combine. We came back. We had about a week. And then we were down in a digital studio. The rodeo shut down. Everything shut down. And then a few days later, a certain trade happened. And, well, our worlds, like, fell all uh, in on us at that particular moment. But we're back at the Combine in 2022. And, Mark, that is great news. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Johnny. And I'm glad you saw the Cougs in there. Not new digs anymore, but relatively new. Um, as that Fertitta Center is really special. Oh, they nice. did an amazing job converting Hoffines. And I know a lot of people have been there since they've done that, but I know a lot of people have it. So if you have a chance to go over, I guess it's a very tough ticket right now to get into that place because it doesn't seat a ton. I think it's perfect for what they have yes. right now. Although the way they're playing right now, Johnny, they might need a 9,000 seat arena or something uh, because they're so hot, but look, they'll take it one step at a time. And I'm excited for March madness coming up for them in particular. Mark, we've seen a lot of good defensive basketball teams over the years. I don't know that I've seen a team as good defensively. Holy smokes. You talk about relentless. Wow. I don't know that Houston without Sasser and without Mark can score the ball enough, but they are going to choke you out. I mean, if you see them on the schedule and you're a scorer, you just you got to know you're getting nothing that day. I mean, you're going to be grinding to get the double figures. They are tough, tough, tough. Kelvin's done one heck of a job with that particular team, but it was good. I saw Dana Holgerson a little bit and saw Chris Pesman. Uh, got a chance to see uh, – I met the mayor. I met Sylvester Turner over there, so that was, uh, <laughs> was kind of cool. Um, and I actually had a chance to uh, chat for, I don't know, about 30 seconds with a particular attorney that we all know in this town – Oh boy! Uh, who was as nice as he could be, Rusty Harden. So I spent a couple seconds with him uh, at the game. So it was a lot of hobnobbing, if you will, out there at the University of Houston Cougars game. So that was fun. I really appreciate uh, them taking care of me and Don Sanders for taking care of me. But it's Indy. It's combine time. And Mark, I don't know about you, but it feels like the earth is back on its axis. Oh, yeah. Being in Indianapolis and just being here and feeling – you know, I don't say combine fever, but we've come to this event so often and to not have it, we, you know, sort of mark time with it, but we get a chance to finally be back in Indianapolis. And I know it's going to be different. I know things are going to you know, be changed from the last time we were there in 2020, but I think the overall gist of it being back in Indianapolis is going to be good. Your thoughts about being in Indianapolis back after two years. Well, the interesting thing is, you're right. This is the last major NFL event until or before COVID hit. Yep. And I remember the NFL meetings, otherwise known as the owners meetings. But by the way, they don't call them that. But they're the <laughs> NFL annual meetings in late yeah. March. I was you know, I had my tickets ready for that one. 
And whatever it was, mid-March when the world shut down, then it was shortly after that they announced no yeah. owners meetings this year. And so that's been since 2019. But this is just two years ago. What's fascinating to me is it's only two years ago that we were in Indy for the Combine. It feels like five years ago. Yeah. Certain in certain ways, time flies, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all just perception, your kids growing up, whatever the case may be. But in this case, it feels like time has crawled since we last had the combine because it's only two years ago, yet it feels like much longer. But here we are, and I'm really excited about it. I think that a lot of memories pop up. This is really exciting because you have picks, you have opportunity, you might get more picks, all of these guys, in the upper echelon, right? The top prospects, the top guys in the Harris 100 and all the other ranking lists, all those guys are extremely relevant to the Texans. We don't know what they're going to do. We have no clue what they're going to do. We could try to guess, but we don't know. I don't know if Nick Casario knows. We will catch up with him tomorrow, by the way. We'll have a Tuesday visit with Nick Casario. We'll likely go live on social media platforms. We'll definitely have the whole visit on Texans All Access Tuesday night. Wednesday night, Lovey Smith will likely go live with him as well. Uh, they'll have press conferences. It's going to be awesome catching up with those guys in Indy in the belly of the Combine Beast. We've been going. My first Combine was 2015. That was my first Combine. You've been going. You've been going before that. But I know that when we've been there have been some things that have stood out sort of our our favorite moments or just moments that we'll we'll never forget and you know it's the first night nothing's really happening tonight on monday but we're here be either way but just seeing the convention center and seeing everything it makes me think about so many different moments i think one that stands out to me and we'll we'll kind of share some of them that we've had over the years one of my favorites, Mark, was back in 20. It was actually, it was my second combine. And back in the day, they used to stuff all of us, which they could never do now. And by all of us, I mean all the media members, every team. I mean, you couldn't do this now, but they nope. put us in the West, essentially the West Club VIP section for where the Colts have their, their club section. Now, it's not like ours. If you've gone to the West VIP or East VIP, you know that that's a mat that could be a massive area, but it's not like that. It's a much more smaller, condensed area. And I remember going in there and it was sardines. I mean, we yep. are just they've got three podiums set up in there. And whenever a quarterback would go speak, I mean, there would be a throng of people. There were people hanging off a speaker. I mean, it was nuts. It was crazy. <laughs> well, behind those three podiums, they had probably about 10 tables. And if you weren't going to the podium to speak, then you went to those tables. Now in the convention center, they have like eight podiums and then they've got about another eight to 10 tables, kind of the same way that if you're not going to a podium, you still go to one of the tables and right. you can have media members. Uh, you know, you can have media members that can sit there with you. So it's 2016 and I'm going to different tables and I'm listening to the guys speak. And I'm thinking about some of the guys that I'd like for the Texans to bring in. And then this media member starts asking players and it happened at a few tables. What do you think you're going to run the 40 in? And some guys are throwing out, I'm going to run four, two, I'm going to run the four, three range. I mean, guys are throwing out crazy numbers. I'm like, Oh, okay. That'd be kind of fun if you did that. 
and they're just shooting the moon. I mean, I, there wasn't a guy that I remembered that said, oh, yeah, I'm going to run 4-2 and then ran 4-2. There was nobody that said, oh, I'm going to run 4-4 and then ran 4-4, with the exception of one guy. And it was the quietest guy in the entire building. And I was sitting just to his right. And that was former Texan Will Fuller. Ooh. And I'm sitting next to Will, and we got to know Will over the years. He didn't say a whole lot. He didn't want to say a whole lot. Combine interviews with the media, not something he really wanted to do. But that same media member had come around, and I sort of I caught, I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, okay, he's going to ask the question, so I'm curious to see what Will will say. And he said, what are you going to run the 40 in? And without missing a beat, Will goes 4-3-2. And I, I mean, not, not, I mean, not like four, three in the four, three range, four, three, two, like bang, like, okay. Oh, wow. And I knew he's fast. I knew, and I knew that number was for a guy like that. He's probably pretty fast, but he didn't, you know, he didn't like follow up. Like, that's what I think. He just said four, three, two. He looked at the guy and the guy goes, okay. And then the next guy asked the question, the way you go, it was typical. Will, he wasn't going to put any fluff on it. He just two days later. Will stepped up to the line and was wrong, but was wrong, and he ran a four three one. Oh, he was <laughs> just, off. I, he was off by he was off by a hundred of a second. But I just remember we had flown back, and I woke up that Saturday, and he's you know f. They go off about a quarter, and I'm like, okay, here we go. They go to commercial. They come back, and they're like, you have to see this run. Will Fuller four three one, and I just went, whoa. He called it. He did. He absolutely called it. Not thinking at that point the Texans would end up drafting him. But I just remember thinking, boy, he called it. All these other guys were totally off. Totally off, including former Texan Tyler Irvin. Because when he was asked, he's like, oh, I'll be in the, in the 4-2 range. And Tyler ran the 4-4 range. It was fast enough. But the fact that he ran, he called 4-2 and then ran 4-4. And Will just went, yeah, 4-3-2. Just looked at the guy. And then turned out the next day he actually ran 4-3-1. Just a shade under what he had predicted. I'll never forget the look on his face as if, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And then he did. And he did actually better than he thought. He was the only guy that I've ever heard that actually shortchanged himself when it came to the 40-yard dash to combine. It was crazy. That, that's absolutely incredible. I want to ask you this, and I don't know if you know the answer now, but when guys get ready for the combine, how often do they actually run a full 40 or a series of 40s just to get ready for that event? Or are they just doing general speed training and not putting the clock on themselves much? I would, I would imagine they do it at least once or something. Yeah, yeah. But are you going to make too big a deal out of this? If you run a lot of 40s you know, at top speed, aren't you risking hamstring injuries yeah. or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think it's, it's a lot of 10-yard, uh, your get-off, a lot of 10-yard sprints just to really – get that part of it down, make sure that you're running with the proper form. As crazy as it sounds, running in a straight line. You see some guys that start kind of weaving one way or the other just because their balance is off because their get-off was not good. So, yeah, they probably run it a couple of times, and I'm sure he probably ran it a couple of times, and that was his best time. And he just rolled out, went and did it, ran 4-3-1, sort of like six foot two, 230-pound DK Metcalf did a few years later, <laughs> ran a 4-3-2. Uh, at that size, but that was one that stood out for me. How about for you? All right. So my second combine was our 2014 combine. Oh, yeah. That was, that was your first and obviously looking for a quarterback, right? You're not 
you don't have full knowledge of who the Texans are going to get because right. there's no Ryan Fitzpatrick signed yet. Free agency hasn't started yet. You know they need a quarterback. Matt Schaub's not coming back. He was still on the roster, but you know he's not coming back. So what are they going to do? And the quarterbacks were of great interest. So Derek Carr, Teddy Bridgewater, Jimmy Garoppolo, Johnny Mansell, the list goes on and on. But I've told this before, and you mentioned where the combine used to be with the media stuff in that West Club of Lucas Oil Stadium area. And with Bridgewater, it was less formal then. And it wasn't as informal as the days. I remember when we were in a hotel and we would have to wait in the lobby and wait for the GMs to come out and we'd talk to three people. Four reporters were there. I mean, McLean was there at the very start of the whole thing, right? Yeah. I mean, we were there as it evolved, of course, but it's evolved since then. But at this point, Bridgewater would have to take a walk back to the elevator and often with an escort, but sometimes it was a somewhat intern type of escort, right? Yeah. Very often, Gil Brandt would bring the players up, but when they would walk back because there was a backlog, they would walk back with some sort of escort, right? So an intern or whatever. So I walked and talked with Teddy. I got an interview with Teddy and we stopped at the elevator. and We talked for a few more minutes. So I had a nice one on one with Teddy that you would never get today. I mean, look, the Hutchinson's going to be on Sirius XM NFL radio, Texans radio as as highly regarded as we are. They're not going to bring us Hutchinson and people like that. It's not happening because then everybody would want them. And it's just it's too much. It's too much. They're just going to do the media briefings. Uh, but that and Derek Carr, because Derek Carr actually sat down at yeah. the table at yeah, our yeah. table. He's like, I was like, hey, can you join us for a few minutes? He's like, yeah, sure. What, you know, whatever. Mark. Yeah, sure. You know, because I knew him as a kid. So right. those I'll never forget those moments, particularly Derek, of course. I got to find that interview, by the way. Maybe we'll run it later this week. Yes. Thursday, or pieces of it, because we don't want to hear the whole thing. It's just me gushing about Derek as a sixth grade <laughs> after practice. <laughs> that is it's always, you know, the quarterbacks when you see him at the podium and I'm I, I'm trying to remember what year it was where there was a handful. What was the Deshaun Kaiser year? Was that 20? Was that Ooh, was, 20? Was that 17? 17. I think it was 20. Yeah, was that was, the year? Yeah, I think it was 2017. <laughs> and I said that he won the press. Conference. Yes. I yes. Said, Listen, yes. I don't. But but hey, to be fair, I said, I don't know if he's going to be any good, but he won the press conference. That's what I said about Kaiser. I didn't know if he was going to be any good at all, yeah. but I felt like he did the best job up there of the guys I heard because I didn't hear everybody. Yeah. But. To that end, uh, you're right. He did. He did win. He was pretty good uh, up at the podium uh, that particular day. Now, he didn't obviously turn out to be uh, the player that he did. I think the one other one that stands out for me, Mark, was, and I mentioned his name a little while ago, and that was DK Metcalf. So that yes. was 20. Was that 2020? No, that was 2019. It was 2019. It was 2019. Yeah, it was 2019 because A.J. Brown came out the same year. And the way that they had the convention center set up at that point is they had all of us on the – and I say all of us, the team media and and most of the media, team media, all of our radio spots and all our TV spots were all in this one area that was adjacent to where they had set up the stands to do the bench press. And so – we could walk over, not even, not even 25, 30 yards away, and we could go watch the bench press. And I remember the receivers were going, and the, the order that they had gone in, 
I think the receivers were working out first. So it all that's I think it's typically the same. Now they might have might do things a little differently now because I think they're doing bench press and the workouts on the same day. But either way, they were doing the bench press that day. And they always give the player the mic. And the player says, DK Metcalf, Ole Miss, hand the mic back. And then they work out. And some guys will stand up there and they go, you know, John Harris, Brown University, I'll lift at my pro day. And it's always funny to watch the scouts just kind of scoff or, oh, man, what's he doing? The audience is great. The, yeah, exactly. It's and a the, who's who. The <laughs> scouts are just awesome because they just they're like, oh, man, I knew this guy was going to not do. This. Anyways, DK Metcalf, Ole Miss slides under the bench and then he throws up like 28 or 29 reps. And I just remember Ridiculous. thinking. He's six two two thirty. He plays receiver. Yeah. And then A.J. Brown, his teammate. Then I don't know which one came first, but they were dueling it out. One did like 27. DK did like 28 or 29 or something of that magnitude. And I'm like, these guys are beasts. And neither one of them went in the first round. But I just remember watching DK Metcalf throw up weight. And I'm just ch- I'm giggling to myself like, is this for real? Like, is this for real that there is a receiver throwing up this many reps at 225? That's uh, it definitely is crazy. Uh, to see at the combine. But, Mark, we're going to have a great week. Like you said, we're going to have Nick Casario on Tuesday. We'll have Lovey Smith on Wednesday, and we will have plenty in between. Mark, I know you got to get some sleep, and we've got some great interviews coming up. <laughs> Talk about a few of these combine participants. Appreciate your time, Mark. Thank you, Johnny. There it is. Coming up next, Pete Sampson. I followed Pete for a very long time. Because he talks about the Irish. Let's learn a little bit more about Kyle Hamilton next, right here on Texans All Access. Right here on Texans All Access. Right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mobile version in Indianapolis. Charles Barkley would be so proud with the way that I handled Indianapolis, Indiana for the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine. We're all here. We're going to have plenty for you. We're going to have Nick Casario on Tuesday, that being tomorrow. We're going to have Lovey Smith on Wednesday, that being two days from now. And it's fantastic. And I'm your host for this evening, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to hear from a guy that I have been, we've been talking to for a long time. I say we, my first co-radio co-host was Sean Pendergast, who you hear in the mornings on the Sports Radio 610. He is a domer, i.e. a Notre Dame grad. So we talked a lot of Notre Dame football on our College Football Wednesday shows many, many years ago. And one of the guys that we wanted to talk to was a guy named Pete Sampson, who then was with Irish Illustrated. He is now with The Athletic and the beat writer for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish for The Athletic. Of course, he has seen Kyle Hamilton up close and personal. And D.P. Sidhu, our good friend, got a chance to catch up with Pete Sampson to talk about the Irish safety. The 2022 top NFL draft prospect series continues. Who might the Texans draft this year? Could it be safety Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame? Today I'm chatting with Pete Sampson. He's a beat writer for The Athletic. He covers Notre Dame football. You can follow him at Pete Sampson. Pete, welcome in and so glad to have you joining us today. It's good to be with you. It's uh, I'll be, I'm fascinated to sort of see how Kai, Kyle Hamilton could go in the draft because I think you don't find a lot of top five picks at that position, but he's, he's, his talent warrants that kind of consideration. 
Yeah, there have not been a lot of safeties that go at the top of draft boards, especially like in recent years. But uh, Hamilton has been projected to go as high as number three, even to the Texans by a lot of these mock drafts recently. What sort of an impact can a guy like Hamilton make immediately in the NFL when he goes that high? I think he he almost allows you to play 11 and a half on 11 defensively. And this is something that I think Hamilton's potential has yet to be unlocked. It's like, this is a weird thing to start on, but like the hash marks are so much closer in the NFL than they are in college. Whereas in college, like if the ball's over to the right hash and you're playing the left hash as a safety, like that's, that's hard to cover that much ground. He did it in college, but with the ball being so much more central in the NFL, I, I actually think his impact will be enhanced at the next level because he's going to be able to just sort of be a middle field safety central to the ball and, you know, get somebody who can play like kind of a single high if you want to. He was just, I mean, he was, a, he was an eraser at Notre Dame. He took away so much stuff. If there was a bust in coverage, his, his interception at Florida State, the second one he had there where he, he ran about 35 yards while the ball was in the air, which is completely ridiculous. And I think that's the kind of stuff he can do at the next level even more than he did at Notre Dame, just of the way the, the field is formatted. I feel like in reading about him, I read so much about his versatility and all the different types of receivers he can cover and he can line up close to the line of scrimmage. He can play back deep. I mean, tell us a little bit about his versatility and, and what you saw from him in your time covering him. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like I never felt like we got to see like the full Kyle Hamilton experience at Notre Dame other than maybe just a few games this season before he had the knee injury that knocked him out. But they would use him in the box like if they're playing a, a run heavy or an option team that, you know, they line up in a four, four, they roll them down. Uh, when they played USC a couple of years ago, that was the USC team with Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn's. They lined up at, as like a deep field safety, like 20 yards off the line of scrimmage and basically don't let anybody get deeper than you. Um, so he can give you everything. Um, when they played Stanford, their best player in the past game was a tight end. Uh, I think Colby Parkinson. So they line up one, line them up one-on-one on him. Um, so they've sort of asked him to do everything and he's done it. So it's um, he, he can, you can make him whatever you want to make him at the next level. And that's that I think is going to be fascinating to see wherever he goes. How do you maximize a guy like this? When you first started covering him, I mean, is it surprising now to see that he's projected to go as high as he is and that he might be, the top safety taken. Is it surprising considering where he was when he first entered Notre Dame and, and you saw him first play, or did you sort of see it, the writing on the wall for him? You felt like it could happen um, just because like he's huge. When, when you see him at the combine, you'd be like, you're, you're only six, four, like you, you're with the wingspan. I mean, he looks like he's six, six. And then his first practice at Notre Dame, he had three interceptions and you're like, okay, what, like, what's up with this kid? <laughs> so you knew, you knew there was like the extra stuff there to say that you thought he was going to be a top five pick when there hasn't been one. And I don't know if you go back to Sean Taylor or Jamal Adams or how far you have to go back, but that would be a right, a reach, but there was no doubt from his first practice, like, all right, this is what a first round pick looks like. He just needs three years to get there. And lo and behold, here we are. But um, yeah, he always knew he was going to be a high end NFL guy. All right. Speaking of interceptions, Levy Smith in this defense, he really emphasizes takeaways. 11 different players had an interception last year. And it seems like Hamilton's done pretty well for himself in that department. So what can you tell us about his ball hawking skills and facing opposing quarterbacks? 
He, I mean, he's excellent. Um, he had two picks in the opening game at Florida State this year. The, the, the second one was just ridiculous. It was like right when it happened, you're like, okay, well, that's going to be on his draft highlight reel that we see 2,000 times uh, in the spring. You know, he can cover so much ground, really good ball skills, not somebody who I think is going, you know, He's not just going up to make a play on the ball. He's going up to take it away. So he's just, he's around the ball. That's another thing. Like his first snap in Notre Dame stadium was a pick six. Um, Wow. That was the second game of his career. And it wasn't like he made an amazing play. It was a ball got deflected from a defensive end and it came right to him. But like at some point you're like, wait a minute, why does the ball always seem to come right to you? He's just in the right place at the right time. In addition to being a great athlete. So if if you're if you want a versatile safety who ups your turnover rate, like this is the guy. Um, I think he's got a real special ability in those regards. Well, sign me up for that. That all sounds yeah. all fine and dandy for us. How about for for you? You've covered him. What is there a particular moment or a memorable game that really stands out to you in, in his career? Certainly the the Florida State game this year was was unique. You know, his first game in Notre Dame Stadium when he had the the pick six out of the gate. You know, this doesn't really apply to the NFL, but his games against Navy were really remarkable because he would just Navy is the ultimate scheme over talent team. And they they just couldn't get a blocker on him. They could they couldn't get a hat to him because he was too fast and too explosive. So it um, he was just really fun to watch uh, week in and week out. It would be hard to pick one, but I, you know, certainly the moment that stands with you the most is his second interception at Florida State where he covers three quarters of the field horizontally with a ball in the air. And you see the reaction of Florida State quarterback Jordan Travis. He's just like, what the heck was that? Like, I, I, I <laughs> there's no way I could have seen him coming um, because he was out of my field of vision when I released the football. So, yeah, there's a, been a lot of just freaky plays like that where you're just like, God, this is this this kid really is sort of built differently than any other safety that I've seen. What about adversity? I mean, he's, he's obviously been very talented from the get-go, but have you seen him go through adversity and, and how, how did he handle that? How did he come out of it on the other end? He hit a, an ankle injury, his sophomore year, missed a game, came back, then had sort of a, a foot surgery, um, which didn't really hold him back. You know, the biggest adversity he had was the knee injury suffered against USC midseason. You know, he trained to come back. I think if Notre Dame had played in the college football playoff, he definitely would have played when they dropped down to the Fiesta Bowl. He's like, you know, this isn't the risk versus reward is not there. So that that's probably the biggest adversity he's had athletically. And I think sort of how he comes back to that, we'll see at the combine. I fully expect that he will be sort of one of those guys who puts up numbers that creates buzz beyond the highlights. So just, yeah, he, he has not had a whole lot of adversity to overcome in his career. I mean, he grew up in a household where his dad played in the NBA for a couple of years, trained NBA athletes. His mom um, was a, was around the Atlanta Falcons with her profession, um, I believe, in real estate. So he sort of grew up around pro athletes. So, like, the fact that this is happening is not going to awe him. Um, and I think that that is, is a bonus for whoever takes him. He's not going to get to the NFL and be like, Oh my God, like I'm around pro athletes. Like I have all this money. Like, what am I going to do with it? Like, he is a really measured guy who I think sort of thinks very big picture. I think you even saw that with some of his name, image, and likeness dealings last year. 
very thoughtful about it. And I think very measured, very deliberate about it. You know, wasn't going to just take every deal to make a quick buck sort of sees himself as a brand and he sort of executed some, some business deals, whether it be a memorabilia or merch that sort of fit with his brand. So I think whoever drafts him is getting a very, like you're getting a great athlete, like, but you're also getting a really mature individual, you know, who's, uh, I think very certain of himself and, and where he needs to go as a player, where he needs to go as a business. I think those are, those are positives for whoever picks him up. All right. Along those lines, what's he like personality wise? I know you've spent a lot of time with him mm-hmm. His family gotten to know him really well. What's his, what's he like off the field? What's he into? You know, he is, um, you know, he's not into like any crazy stuff. I mean, he's like a video game kid, likes hanging out. But uh, I think the thing that really strikes you is like, he's a very mature 21, 22 year old kid. You, when you sit down with him, you don't feel like you're talking to a college kid. You feel like you're talking to a young adult. So that's part of it. He's, you know, he's very stubborn, might be too much, but not by a lot. Like he's, when he makes a decision, like he'll dig his heels in on it. So, and he knows how good he is. Like, I, I don't want him to come across, like, I don't want this to come across as I'm presenting this kid. It's like, oh gosh, shucks. I'm just really good at football. Like, no, he knows how good he is. So again, that gets into like, the certainty and, um, you know, the deliberateness of like how he views football, where it can take him financially, professionally. So he's, I, I would describe him as sort of a, a mature kid where you feel like you're talking to a, a guy in his late twenties, not his late teens or early twenties. All right. Well, if the Texans don't take Kyle Hamilton, I know Notre Dame's got some other prospects that are going to be at the combine and that you'll be covering here that you've covered in the past. Give me another name or two that, that Texans fans should look out. That's not named Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. If you're in the market for a running back, uh, Kyron Williams is a really interesting prospect to me, kind of your all around all purpose back incredible um, in blitz pick, pick up and diagnosing what teams are throwing at your quarterback. Um, really good receiver, uh, incredible personality. You will be spoiled if you get to cover him because um, he's a great quote um, and fun to deal with in that way. So that would be the one it's, you know, and then down the draft, Kevin Austin, maybe a late round pick. He was Notre Dame's number one receiver last year. He said his career has been suspended. He's been injured, hadn't, has not, does not have a lot of tape. Um, and so if you can get him in the right system, I think he could be a value pick for you as a fifth, sixth, seventh round type of pick. Um, that those would be the two guys that are kind of worth monitoring. It's it's not a great year for Notre Dame in terms of volume of guys who are draftable, but Kyron Williams, third, fourth round, uh, and then Austin in the later rounds. Those those would be the the guys that I'm most interested to see where they fall this cycle. All right. We'll have to see what shakes out with Notre Dame prospects and the Texans this year. Pete, thank you so much for the time. Pete Sampson, beat writer for The Athletic, covers Notre Dame football. Follow him at Pete Sampson. Pete, appreciate the time so much. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Man, I would kill for his pipes. Pete Sampson's got some sweet, sweet pipes. And by the way, Kyle Hamilton, number one on the Harris 100. And we'll stay that way because there will be nothing Short of him running a 5-5-40, which is probably not going to happen. You could tell uh, how fast he is just on tape. He is an absolute baller. And DP City had a chance to learn more about him with Pete Sampson, beat, beat writer for the Irish for the Athletic. Charlie Potter knows all there is to know about Alabama football. 
So let's learn a little bit more about Evan Neal from Charlie Potter next right here on Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. On Texans. It's our final segment of this Monday edition of Texans All Access from Indianapolis, Indiana, as we get ready for full-on proceedings tomorrow here for the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine. Cannot wait. I'm your host this evening, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, one guy that I am truly excited to see just there are certain things at a combine that I, oh, I would say always impress me. Speed is always one. And size. When you see some guys, you're like, my gosh, that guy's big. I remember seeing Daniel Falele from Minnesota, the tackle at the, at the Senior Bowl. And holy cow. Well, Evan Neal has that same sort of build. And he is an athlete. And he is the number three overall prospect in the Harris 100. And Charlie Potter from Bama Online knows all about Evan Neal. And DP City caught up with Charlie to learn more about the hulking tackle from Alabama. The Texans have had a lot of moving pieces on the O-line, and Neil has moved around, it seems like, quite a bit himself. He's made starts at left guard, left tackle, right tackle in his three seasons. Well, you've, you've sort of watched him over these past three years. Where do you think his best fit will be as he enters the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you're right. He has, I think, 30 games of experience. He only missed one, and that was due to, I think, illness a couple of years ago. And so, you know, he's been a guy that's been a fixture on Alabama's offensive line, but it's been at different spots. He has double-digit starts at three different positions. He started his career at left guard, started 13 games there in 2019. Um, then he moved to right tackle in 2020, the, the year Alabama won the national championship and, and also won the Joe Moore Award as the nation's top offensive line. And last year, he kicked over to, to left tackle with Alex Leatherwood turning pro. And um, really, he, he seemed like that was the place that he liked the most. Of course, that's where he played a lot at IMG Academy before coming in Tuscaloosa. So I think that's probably where he wants to play. I think at this point, though, you know, anywhere uh, on, a, on an offensive line as a starter would be advantageous for him and something he would look forward to. But no, I think that flexibility certainly helps because uh, a team in need of any kind of offensive line help I uh, can look for Evan Neal to to plug a, a spot, not at center, obviously, but he can maybe start his career at guard. But I, I see him just with his frame being six seven. Alabama listed him at three fifty, but I think he he lost a little bit of weight. He can certainly play tackle at the next level, but I think that versatility is a strength of his and something that you know I think teams will will covet because you only want to carry so many offensive linemen, and and the fact that he can play multiple roles and wear multiple hats, I think is something that will certainly help him at the next level. Yeah. And you know, it's not that often that offensive linemen garner a lot of uh, honors. You mentioned some awards that he'd gotten, but Neil, it seems that he uh, received some offensive player of the week honors multiple times from the Alabama coaching staff. So entering the NFL, what do you think is his biggest asset? What does he bring as an offensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, Alabama coaching staff didn't hand out a lot of player of the week awards to offensive linemen this year. You know, it was kind of a down year given that they won the Joe Moore award last year as a unit, but Evan Neal was that constant force up front for UA. And, um, you know, I think it was six or seven, maybe even eight times that he got that award from the the coaching staff. And, you know, I I think he's a well-rounded offensive lineman. I think Alabama, a lot of the times they didn't want to tip their hand and say, Hey, we're going to run it to the left every time, but it was a good bet that, you know, Brian Robinson and these running backs that Alabama had, were going to run off of Evan Neal's left or right hip. And, uh, you know, he's strong in that aspect, but he's also sound as a pass blocker. The offensive line as a whole didn't necessarily pass protect 
very well for Bryce Young, even though he won the Heisman Trophy. He was running around a lot. But I think Evan Neal, you know, was just a consistent factor over there. So I think he's a, an all-around, you know, really strong offensive lineman, both from a physical and literal standpoint. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to kind of grade this past year just because the group as a whole kind of took a step back. But I don't think that's necessarily a knock on Evan because when you look at it, I mean, he the, the cream rises to the top and he was the guy that stood out most uh, among that starting five. I, you know, I often like to ask different reporters about players and adversity and things that they've overcome, but it just seems like for Neil having to play three different spots in three different seasons is, you know, quite a challenge in itself. How did he manage that and, and really thrive no matter where he was playing on the O-line? Yeah, it felt more like a promotion for him because he just kind of took advantage of the opportunity when it presented itself. You know, coming in as a true freshman, you know, guys don't really start uh, a lot as freshmen at Alabama. I mean, it's, it's notable when it happens. Guys like you know, Andre Smith has done it. Um, you know, uh, Cam Robinson, who's with the Jaguars. Jonah Williams, who's left tackle for the, the Bengals and played for the Super Bowl this year. But the list isn't very long. And so for him to come in and, and nab a spot at left guard in, in 2019 on an offensive line with a lot of big names, it says a lot. And then the following year, you had Jedrick Wills moving on to the NFL. That uh, right tackle spot becomes available and he slides right in. It's kind of like, you know, you, as a beat reporter, you kind of do depth chart projections and things like that going into the spring and the, the summer preseason camp, all that. It was very easy to pencil in Evan Neal at right tackle then. And the same goes for this past season when Alex Leatherwood moved on to the league. You had an opening at left tackle. You wanted to protect Bryce Young's blind spot going into his first year as a starter. And you move that big body of Evan Neal's over there. And he does a really good job in that regard. So um, it's difficult to make that transition um, for any player just moving from a different spot year to year, but I think it was more so, like I said, a promotion for him where you know, he started where there was an opening and then each time there was an opening where he felt more comfortable, he was able to, to step in and, and really do a seamless job in that, uh, in that regard. All right. What about for you? You've covered him in his uh, three seasons there. What's been the most memorable matchup or game of his that you've covered? That's tough because, you know, Evan's a guy that whenever he plays, you just don't really hear his name a lot. And as an offensive lineman, you know, that's what you sure. what you want to, to happen. So I don't have one that just sticks out more so than than others. I do think, again, I, I feel like a broken record almost, but this year was was big for him because the offensive line was weakness is a, a weird word to use for a team like Alabama who played for a national championship, but on an offense that had a lot of explosive playmakers, they, they clearly had the, the Heisman trophy winner. The, the offensive line at times was a weak link, but that wasn't the case for, for Evan. It was more the guys around him. And those were guys that were stepping into new roles and, you know, maybe some unfamiliar spots. So I think for him to be a guy that, it was a consensus All-American, was recognized by you know, the coaches and the, and the conference, by you know, all the outlets that go into uh, making up the, the consensus All-America teams. And then to be recognized by his teammates as a team captain, one of four on Alabama's team, I think says a lot about him and the way that he was kind of able to anchor that line and not only lead them on the field, but lead them off of it when they had some, some new guys stepping into new roles and things like that. So I think for him to be kind of that steady force and kind of a stormy season this past year, that stands out more than anything for me, just because you know there weren't a lot of great games from an offensive line standpoint as a whole, but Evan, that's not really his fault. It wasn't things that he was doing. He was the 
the good and some of the bad um, whenever you come to look at Alabama's offensive line this past fall. I know the past two seasons have been sort of different covering a team with COVID going on, especially across football, across all teams. But, you know, what is Evan Neal like off the field? Did you get a chance to know him? Like, what's he into? What's his personality like? I'm going to see him at the combine here coming up here very shortly. So I'm very curious what he's like off the field. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned with the, the pandemic, it's it's been tough just to kind of get that beat writer player relationship as you've had in past years, because, you know, Evan came in in 2019, he was a true freshman and then Alabama plays in the citrus bowl. So, you know, the locker room isn't as open. It is maybe for the college football playoff and things like that, the SEC championship game. And then you have two years of just really virtual press conferences, zoom meetings and, and interviews and things like that. So we haven't get, gotten a chance to, to really, know Evan as well as some players in the past just because again they don't talk as freshmen and then when he comes up as a starter it's in front of a a camera and we're not in the room but everything I've gathered is he's just a a guy that uh, players like to be around again he stepped into a leadership role this year and he's probably a little more quiet but you know he has a, a deep voice and when he speaks people listen I think that's a reason why they voted him as a team captain this year um and you know he's he's never had been a guy where you have to You'll cover things off the field, and that's kind of part of the job as a beat reporter when when things happen from a news standpoint. Evan's never been that kind of guy. So, um, yeah, he just seems like a, a player that you know, goes about his business, and, you know, he has, you know, good character and personality and things like that. Nothing just, you know, completely um, overwhelming or, you know, boisterous or anything like that. But he seems like a guy that would fit in well in a pro locker room. He's kind of, you know, ready for that. I think he's kind of been – a guy that's been all business since he came to Alabama. And that's a big part of coming from a place like IMG. So I think wherever he lands, he's going to be a guy that, that fits in well and is someone that, you know, doesn't take long to acclimate to the, the lifestyle of a pro athlete. Boy, Charlie hits on a big one right there. If you've got the athleticism, you've got the desire, you've got the want to, and you can avoid those pratfalls being a professional, you'll be around the league for a long time. Long time and have a long, illustrious, productive career. I think Alabama players sort of get the feel of that when they're at Alabama. They are rock stars down there in the state. So Evans had a little bit of it. The NFL, you throw in a ton of money and responsibility and pressure, if you will, of being an NFL player. It ramps up a little bit, but hopefully Evan Neal is a guy that can handle it. We'll see if he ends up being a Texan come April. Big thanks to Charlie Potter, to Pete Sampson, of course, D.P. Sidhu and Mark Vandermeer. To all of you for listening, we will see you tomorrow where we will have Nick Casario right here at the Combine in Indianapolis. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll see you on Tuesday. And as always, go Texans.